Hi again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan alongside John McAlevey. Welcome to this week's edition of the podcast on moresportsnow.com. And we have reached that point in the college basketball season where the tournaments are done, March Madness is here, and every man, woman, and child in America is an expert. Busy pouring over the seedings to see who's going to come out on top and can they win their own individual tournament. But we're not all experts. But who is an expert? It's the man we have on the line, John Fanta. We've had him on the show before. John, of course, you know from uh, Fox Sports 1 and his Big East work, the Big East Digital Network, all that sort of good stuff. And, John, thanks very much for giving us a few moments at this busy time of the year for you. It's really exciting to be with you guys, uh, Matt and John. Best time of the year. Such a blast to be heading to the big dance. And, uh, man, what a season it's been, especially in the Big East. What a tournament, an epic final between Seton Hall and Villanova. And now that just carries momentum onto the dance floor. So nothing better than this. Pencils sharpened, brackets ready to go. <laughs> Exciting to break it down with you guys. Fair enough. And before we look ahead to the tournament, which of course gets underway uh, tomorrow with the first four matchups, let's go back to the, the past week and uh, you spent so much time at Madison Square Garden covering the Big East Tournament, and it was just fantastic. And I would say that even if my alma mater, Seton Hall, didn't do as well as they did and falling just short in an epic championship against Villanova, I mean, I think Big East basketball really stood out. The Garden was rocking. It was a hell of a tournament from start to finish. It really was. And we knew that the way that the Big East season went with the amount of parity you had all 10 teams finishing uh, above 500, that there could be chaos. And it went all chalk up until the semifinals, but sometimes the tournament delivers even more when it goes that way. And on semifinal Friday, what a slate it was. You had Xavier, one of the hottest teams in college basketball, won seven of eight going into that game Friday night. And they were up up by seven on Villanova with just over three minutes to go. And you have to keep in mind, guys, Xavier was fighting for its life. They had to win to stay alive for an NCAA tournament berth. They had to win this tournament, and they fell just short because if you don't close out Villanova and you keep the back door open, the Cats are going to strike, and they Mm -hmm. did just that. What a victory for Villanova to win that game, and they gutted it out in overtime. And then in the second leg of the doubleheader, you had chaos. You had three ejections with Theo John, Sakar Anam, Sandro Mamoukilashvili, in Marquette, Seton Hall, uh, you had Big East tournament-type physicality, fire to that game, and Seton Hall finds a way by two, but it could have gone down in Seton Hall infamy with the way the final minutes went with a technical foul on Jared Roden and Marcus Howard getting good free-throw opportunities and then a, a chance to win it at the buzzer. That shot just off. So for Seton Hall... They survive, and then they have to turn right around and try to beat Villanova twice in one week. And it just was a little bit too much to ask, despite an epic championship game between the two. Nova coming out on top, and and the development of their supporting cast has been key and will be key to the NCAA tournament. I thought Jermaine Samuels hit some big-time shots. I mean, Colin Gillespie has been huge in complimenting Phil Booth in the backcourt, and Eric Paschal did what he's done all season long. So, For Seton Hall, a chip on their shoulder after a loss in the Big East title game. For Villanova, it's more of the same. And that really sets us up for the NCAA tournament. One thing is for certain with with all these Big East teams, being at the Garden all week, think about the atmospheres. You had 19,000-plus people. You had 
games that went right down to the wire. There's not a better way to prep for the NCAA tournament than by being inserted into that kind of atmosphere and those types of games. Absolutely, John. We had John Rook on last week's podcast, the Providence College play-by-play guy, and he this was his 30th Big East tournament, and he told Matt and I that it still for him is like Christmas morning or New Year's Eve. It's just an incredible atmosphere. He looks so forward to it every year. And as I look back on this year's uh, Big East tournament, I kind of put it in sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think the good was uh, the amazing games, the crowds that they had, Seton Hall, you know, um, and, and Villanova coming in at the end and winning it. The bad, I thought, was probably St. John's getting annihilated on their home floor and, and almost, you know, getting knocked out of the NCAA tournament. And I thought the ugly may have been some of the officiating that they had. You brought up the Seton Hall-Marquette game, but... Uh, but Mr. Clark, Breeding, and Clockerty didn't really distinguish themselves. Tell us a little bit about what you think in those regards. Well, th- this was a game on Friday night that more than more than a game. And look, here's the thing on on the officiating part: the, the game got lost in terms of control. It, it just the, the game went off the rails, and. That, that's what happened. Now, I think that there was legitimacy to the calls in the final 10 minutes and hanging on the rim on a dunk that's obviously warranting of a technical. But for me, I think that uh, just just the way that the reviews went, the, the duration of those, uh, really long. allowing it to get really allowing it to get to the point where there were multiple ejections, uh, they could have at one point said to both coaches, let's cut this you-know-what out, Mm -hmm. and let's get rid of it, and let's get rid of it for good. Now, there's not a a tougher job, I think, than than to basically be the one deciding uh, this type of a game, but by the same token, look, with with that kind of responsibility, you're you're going to to have the spotlight on you. I I think that that at the end of the day, the biggest thing was just the length of those reviews. You just said it, John. It was it was too long, mm. and that, that caused the fans to get involved. It caused players to get disgruntled, and it, it reached a point of no return. Um, at the end of the day, I think Seton Hall was the better team because they had the best player on the floor, Miles Powell, and the Pirates just made more plays, especially on the defensive end of the floor and the way that they got stopped. But it, it was unfortunate in the way things went. I know Marquette has an absolute fire lit under them because they don't want to go out with two straight losses, and I wouldn't want to be the team facing them, which is Murray State, in the tournament on Thursday. This Marquette team is angry about the way things went. We'll see how they respond, but um, it, it, what's done is done. It's not the first bad officiated, or you know, it's not the first controversial officiated game. It won't be the last, and I think at the end of the day, still the, the better team won the game which isn't why it escalated to a whole nother tier, if you will. Yeah, had it uh, had it turned the other way, perhaps it would have been worse. And could you imagine a Seton Hall fan, Cloggerty, pair a feast 
involved in a loss for Seton Hall, won in a national championship game a long, long time ago, and uh, won potentially in the semifinals of the Big East. That would have been something interesting, to say the least. But at any rate, we move on, and four teams from the Big East have advanced to the NCAA tournament. All Big East teams will be playing in postseason play, uh, including DePaul, which is in the CBA, uh, CBI. Anyway, let's talk uh, about the first game that a Big East team will play, and then we'll, we'll move on to the bigger picture with you, John. But uh, focusing a little bit on the Big East and how their teams might do. Let's start with St. John's. They've got the the first four game uh, tomorrow night against Arizona State. This is a fascinating matchup, one that I think fits St. John's well. Uh, what a coaching showdown. You get Chris Mullen and the Johnnies making their first NCAA tournament appearance since 2015. For Arizona State, they've been in this first four game before. This Sun Devils team, there's one thing that stands out. Uh, one is they turn the ball over nearly four, 14 times a game. St. John's is top five in America in turnover margin, plus five in turnover margin. The Johnnies love to get out in transition. So Arizona State, if they go ahead and turn the ball over 14, 15 times, that's playing with fire. That's when St. John's is at its best. To beat St. John's, you have to stick the Red Storm's offense in the half court and make them work for shots and then, uh, that's where things have gone wrong for St. John's. But when they can run, they have a couple of really dynamic guards in Shamari Pons and Mustafa Heron. And there's kids who compliment them well. And Justin Simon, Marvin Clark, LJ Figueroa, they've got five that average double figures. It's just a matter of getting out on the break. And Arizona State does give the ball away. Arizona State is a guard-oriented team. Uh, Lou Dort is a tremendous guard and the showdown between Dort and Ponds is something that a lot of people are going to be fascinated by but this is an Arizona State team guys they don't have a six foot ten six foot eleven big man that can give St. John's problems they do rebound the ball well Arizona State has a plus four rebounding margin that is a weakness for St. John's they're in the negative in that category so I think it comes down to can St. John's get transition uh, and Arizona State's run into some turnover issues so that that's a big key and then two is Arizona State, they do play similarly to St. John's, but can they control the interior? Because you have to Saint, you have to make St. John's work defensively down low. And when you do that, you can have success. I thought in Marquette's quarterfinal win over St. John's, a 32-point win at the guard for Marquette. Mm. It, it, they sometimes didn't do the glamorous. They didn't do the Marcus Power pull-up three. They did the Ed Morrow, Theo John post-entry. And that works successfully against an undersized St. John's team. But Arizona State doesn't have a lot of size, and they run into some turnovers. I like St. John's to win this game Wednesday night in Dayton. That's great, and and good for St. John's because they really don't have an interior presence at all. So they're going to play a team that's sort of a mirror image. But how funny is it that St. John's and Arizona State vying to play Buffalo? Can you imagine those two big programs with a chance to play Buffalo? And that would be Bobby Hurley going up against his own team if he's able to get through. But, but John, talk about Chris Mullen. And I think that that large exhale you heard at about 6.58 p.m. last <laughs> night uh, was coming from Jamaica, Queens. I mean, if Chris Mullen, they started the season out 12-0, and they went to 14-1, and and then they really crawled home at the end of the season. And for him to get the Johnnies back in the tournament – that is a huge weight off of his back, is it not? It is because he needed to make the NCAA tournament with this caliber of a roster. And at the end of the day, they're in the field. They might have been the last team in, but they found their way in the field in the year that they need to get in the field. 
So for St. John's, now they're just one win away from the program's biggest win in 19 years. While there have been lows, if St. John's wins on Wednesday, that's all that's going to matter, right? That's all people remember about a season is, is your biggest win or maybe your biggest loss. They, they don't remember that uh, random February game against Xavier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, look at, they look at what you do when it matters most. And for St. John's, this is winning time. They have to seize this moment. Because if Chris Mullen can get them a win on Wednesday night, I get it. They're in the first four. I get that it's not technically a Thursday or Friday game. But look, it's the program's most significant win in two decades. And, and that bears noting. And that deserves the recognition it should get. So this is a golden opportunity for St. John's. Now it's just a matter of seizing it. You know that Bobby Hurley, the way that he's coached Arizona State, he's done a great job there. This Sun Devils team owns wins over Kansas, um, Utah State, and a couple other teams that really stand out. So I'm, I'm really fascinated to see, to see what happens in this matchup. But I like St. John's, and I think – it's a real chance for the program to have a turning-the-corner type moment. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, while this year has been up and down, for Chris Mullen, it's a huge positive if he can find a way to get a tournament win just because the program has really no standard to go off of. The other game on Wednesday, North Dakota State in uh, North Carolina Central. Tuesday, it's fairly Dickinson, Jersey representative exactly against Prairie View and then Belmont against Temple uh, as the first four gets played I'd love to spend and I might come back to FDU just because uh, you know Bruce Hamburger is an assistant coach there longtime fixture on the New Jersey college basketball scene longtime Seton Hall assistant coach and boy success follows him wherever it goes you know what why don't we talk about that before we move on to some of those other Big East teams Uh, you know FDU is in Good for them. I think it's a shame that any of those teams have to play that first four because uh, you're not really part of the tournament, particularly, uh, obviously, if you lose. But at any rate, um, you know, what's FDU all about? Well, Fairleigh Dickinson uh, is such a well-coached team under Greg Horrenda. Another Seton uh, Hall guy. Yeah, another right, another Seton Hall guy. And, and a guy that has uh, really done a lot with, with a little. I mean, he, he's been able to make it work in the Northeast Conference, and and good on them what they've done. Now, they've had uh, a couple of veterans, once again, be part of this run. And and this is a a team that's found some balance. It's a team that has five averaging in double figures. Darnell Edge leads them with over 16 points per game. If you don't know about him, you, you surely will this week because he's a really, really special player. I've had a chance to watch him throughout his career. Six foot two guard that just can really score the ball well. And so I like the balance of this team. I think that they win this game. Uh, I know I was talking to Jerry Carino, longtime Seton Hall beat reporter and all over the New Jersey hoop scene, who, who likes FDU to win this game as well. So we'll see how things go uh, for the Knights, but an opportunity for them and a team that's got a lot of ways that they can beat you because they shoot the ball efficiently. I mean, you think about they're they're shooting the ball 48% from the field on the season. And I look at Darnell Edge, he's 47% from beyond the three-point arc. This is a kid that, that's very, very efficient, 89% from the free-throw line. I mean, that, those are exceptional numbers. So remember the name Darnell Edge, another couple names, Jalil Jenkins, Mike Holloway Jr., uh, FDU in the playing game. I expect them to win this game. He will give them the edge. Is that what you're saying, John? <laughs> that on touch. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's right. It's that time of year for, for those types of uh, – 
those types of puns. We get so many great names this time of year in college basketball, which is why another reason why it's so fun. So many names that become household names because of what they do. And well, look what happened last year with Loyola Chicago all the way to the right. Final Four, right? I mean, it's, or, or UMC uh, Baltimore County uh, as they upset Virginia in the first round, first 16 seed to do it. So uh, a winner, the winner of that game does face Gonzaga. I'm not sure there'll be another 16 upset over a number no. one seed in that matchup. All right, let's move on. Uh, you mentioned Marquette with a burr in their saddle uh, as they get ready for Murray State. Uh, what should we know about that one? What you should know is this is the best 1v1 showdown in college basketball this year. You get Marcus Howard versus John Moran. Moran's projected to be a top 3-4 pick in the NBA draft. Uh, he averages almost 25 points a game and 10 assists per game. So Marquette has to be ready in the passing lanes. They've got to find a way to keep Moran from getting to those 10 assists per game because if Moran does that, then Murray State's going to be one tough out because then you don't have Moran just scoring. You have him creating as well, and that's why Murray State's in the NCAA tournament. It's why they came out of the OVC, and it's why the OVC is a two-big conference with Belmont in the first four as well, and good for the committee. Good job by them putting Belmont in because if you look at the eye test and you think about what Belmont did, I'm in favor of letting the little guy in as an at-large. Going back to Murray State, uh, really dynamic superstar Morant. On the other side, it's Marcus Howard. Marcus Howard averages 25 points per game, guys. He's an exceptional player. But I will say this until I'm blue in the face. For Marquette to win in the NCAA tournament, they have to have completeness. They, the have, to have, the, they have to have the Housers going. Sakar Annam has to be contributing. When he's in double figures, Marquette becomes a different monster. And defensively, Marquette has been strong, but when they are able to defend in the half court. For Marquette, they've fallen into some turnovers at times. They're trying to do a little bit too much. They just need to be well-rounded. You have to play within each other. And uh, that's what I think is a huge key for this because I think Marquette's a more complete team than Murray State. Mm. But if it's just the Marcus Howard versus John Moran show, then that's where you could get susceptible to an upset. Absolutely. And and Howard, mind you, is coming off that one for fifteen in the uh, in the Seton Hall game. And uh, speaking of Seton Hall, they draw Wofford, the Terriers. Now this is a couple of years ago. They got in and they had to play Gonzaga, and they wound up getting trounced by them. And now they're in as a ten seed, and they get a really tough Wofford team who is twenty nine and four. And oh by the way, their four losses are to North Carolina, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Mississippi State. So this is a team that's won 20 in a row. Tell us what you think about this matchup. By the way, let me just interrupt here. Underseeded Seton Hall. Underseeded. All right, I got that off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Seton Hall, as much as they might be underseeded, this this draws better than getting stuck in Salt Lake City against Gonzaga or against Duke. So for Seton Hall, they have to cut off the three-point line. Wofford averages 11 threes per game. Yeah. And they have a tremendous star in Fletcher McGee who puts up 20 points per game. And Seton Hall fans didn't know about Fletcher McGee until last night. They, they do now. They've heard his name enough from every Seton Hall reporter and, and now on this podcast. But I look at it with Seton Hall. They have two calling cards, one elite defense and two a star in Miles Powell. And, and that, for me, is enough to say, okay, this team can win an NCAA tournament game if not uh, shot Kentucky in a second. I, I think this is a difficult matchup. It's a tough draw. Wofford competed in the SOCON, which people may not know a lot about, but you're talking about some really good teams in that conference. You're talking about Furman. You're talking about 
UNCG. Uh, UNC Greensboro was just the first team out of the field. They almost got in that large pit for what they did this season. Um, and if it had not been for Oregon winning the Pac-12, UNCG would have been in the field. So you think about those two teams, you think about East Tennessee State, this Wofford team is battle-tested too. They challenged themselves in the non-conference, and they were in a solid mid-major conference. This is a tough draw for Seton Hall. You can't think about the Kentucky rematch. You have to think about the task at hand. But again, if this Seton Hall team, which was picked eighth in the Big East, gets a tournament win, that is an incredible accomplishment for this group to then be one of 32 left. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a tough task. They have to be ready defensively more than they ever have been because Wofford is that good. Wofford's good enough to be in the second weekend. Uh, you think about it, guys. How many times do you see a mid-major get a seven seed? It doesn't happen often, uh, especially one that you know was ranked for periods of time, but but I don't think got the national attention. They did. They got some, but not until later in the season. So I, I'm fascinated to see it. You know, Wofford. Here's another thing. Wofford's never won an NCAA tournament game. They're going to be gunning for this moment. Seton Hall has to be ready in every way, shape, and form. Yes, and Miles Powell will need help from his brother, Miles, Miles Kale. And also, <laughs> you know, they play really well when Sandro Mamukalish really gets it going, which he did over the uh, the last few days. And I thought they also got some nice contributions from Anthony Nelson, uh, especially in the in the finals. He played really well, which, which, John, then would bring us back around to the Villanova Wildcats. And they draw St. Mary's, who somehow or another annihilated Gonzaga. They held them to their lowest point total uh, in like 25 years. Uh, they get another uh, bid from that conference. And listen, St. Mary's is no one that you want to sleep on, but it, it should prove to be a, a pretty good matchup for Villanova. And then if they were to, whoever gets by them would get Purdue in the second round. So tell us what you think when you see the Villanova and St. Mary's matchup. Well, with Villanova and St. Mary's, first off, I think that this is a, a friendly draw for Villanova because they only have to go to Hartford. St. Mary's has to go across the country. I think that's tough, especially after considering that they beat Gonzaga to win the WCC. I mean, I know they didn't do a whole lot outside of that, but still, that's that's uh, not, not the easiest to draw. With St. Mary's, I, I think the key for the Gales is for them to get the ball down low. Hmm. Villanova's one flawed area is interior defense. We saw that at times against Seton Hall on Saturday when NZ and Mamu were going towards the bucket. Uh, so for St. Mary's, they've got a couple of uh, strong players inside, Malik Fitz and Jordan Hunter. Uh, the two players average around 23 points per game, around 14 boards a game. So I, I look for those two. Uh, Villanova has to be ready to combat those two. Uh, St. Mary's also has a great scorer in Jordan Ford. You're talking about a 20-point-per-game score, a guy who can stroke it from deep. So these Gales, Randy Bennett has done a lot with a little. It's another case of that. Mm. And they beat Villanova back in 2010 in the round of 32. And Jay Wright told me last night that, that look, he was going to show his guys the tape of that loss. He doesn't want to have to go through that again. And for Villanova, the key for them is Jermaine Samuels and Colin Gillespie, making sure that they complement Booth and Pascal. Uh, but I really like Villanova's draw because I think that on the other side, if they get Purdue, if you stop Carson Edwards, you stop Purdue. And Purdue has had a little bit of trouble uh, trying to get things done in the NCAA tournament. But what I'm interested to see is Purdue and Old Dominion. 
I think Old Dominion could shock Purdue in the first round, and we could see Nova and ODU in the second round. Nova might just have to beat St. Mary's and Old Dominion to get to the Sweet 16. How about that? The Monarchs, right? The ODU Monarchs. Yeah, that would be yeah, amazing. Yeah, I think that's one of my, that's one of my upset picks. All I right. think Old Dominion is going to pull it off. Matt, write that down. I want to put that on my sheet as well. I'm going to take John's uh, advice on that one. And, John, you mentioned Jermaine <laughs> Samuels. He really came up big for them. And, and I can recall, especially in the Xavier game, out of a timeout, Villanova called a timeout, and Jay put something together. And, oh, by the way, it was a screen and roll, and they hit Samuels at the top of the key for a big three-point shot. So he's someone that they're looking for now. He's not just sort of an ancillary part now. They're looking for him. And I also thought they got some really good minutes from Sadiq Bey down low. I know you said they don't have a real low-post threat, and he's not necessarily a low-post threat because he makes threes as well. But he's doing his part uh, inside for them as well. Yes, he is. He, he is. Villanova has grown. Think about the team that was playing in November. You didn't know what you were going to get out of Sadiq Bay or just Jermaine Samuels, and they certainly weren't names that you led your discussion with on Villanova, but it's it's been really key for those guys to get going. I think Demir Cosby-Roundtree has to play a key role for Villanova, at least on the defensive end of the floor in this tournament. So the development of that supporting cast is, is huge. Bay, uh, Bay had foul trouble against Xavier, but he then stepped up and uh, really delivered in some big ways early in the early goings against Seton Hall on Saturday. So it's coming from different sources for Villanova, and that's why they could be a second weekend team. Well, we'll see what happens. And on the Seton Hall side, I'm just looking to see how they bounce back emotionally from such a terrific or, you know, uh, from the end of the regular season with the home wins against Marquette and Villanova and then on into the tournament. Not only are they facing a tough team, but they've got to get uh, their heads uh, around uh, not winning the championship, falling just short, all that sort of stuff. Uh, You mentioned ODU as a sleeper. What other sleepers you got, John? Yeah, um, I've got a couple that that I find really interesting. Just looking at the bracket, I like Northeastern to take down Kansas in Salt Mm. Lake City. I I really like the way Northeastern's playing. I think they have the length that could give Kansas some problems. And this Kansas team, guys, just has never really found its complete rhythm. Uh, they, look, I could be dead wrong, and they, they could find themselves in the Elite Eight, but I think, look, you, you take the chances on an upset, so I like Northeastern to knock off Kansas. I also think Liberty over Mississippi State. Richie McKay has done a great job with the Flames this year. They play a pack line defense that McKay brought with them over from Virginia, so watch out for Liberty. They're going to be very difficult to face. I think that Liberty could be in the Sweet 16 as a 12 seed. I think that they could knock off both Mississippi State and Virginia Tech because I think they're playing that well. Also, LSU is in disarray with the loss of Will Wade. Mm. Uh, we saw them uh, you know, bow out early in the uh, SEC tournament. They lost to Florida. Watch out for Yale. Yale is a really good team for a 14 seed. You can throw out that 14. It could easily be a 12. So I- I'm really fascinated to see what Yale does as a 14. Um, and then I also think that one other one, just the way that Florida's playing. Uh, I know that you don't think of Florida as an upset team, but keep an eye on the Florida Gators because uh, they're more battle-tested than Nevada. My fear with Nevada is they just didn't do a whole lot uh, in the non-con, and they rolled their way to the NCAA tournament. They, they put together a great season, 29-4, but there's no proof that Nevada can beat a great team. There's none. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no proof that they can beat somebody really good. So – Florida has proven they can beat good teams. 
I like Florida to beat Nevada. And, and a bit of a surprise to people because I know a lot of people like Nevada this year. Okay. Well, you've got some good surprises there. Now can we move on from this small tournament and talk about the one that everybody really cares about, and that's the NIT, where my Friars <laughs> are going to be playing, and the Big East is well represented. They've got five teams playing in the NIT. Uh, give us some real quick thoughts on what you think about the fact that they've got five teams playing in there and, uh, and who you see that uh, might have a chance to get back to the Garden where they just played the Big East tournament. Yeah, um, you know what, for the Big East F5 and the NIT, that signifies the kind of year it was in the Big East, the rebuilding year. But what you want to do is, if you're these teams, you want to treat the NIT like you would the NCAA tournament and have this be the start of your 2019-20 campaign. Marquette went to the NIT last year. They made the Sweet 16 the NIT. Look what it did. It was the start of this year. It was the start of getting the best seed out of the Big East. It wasn't Villanova who got the best seed. Villanova's a sixth seed. Marquette got the five, and uh, I truly believe that the NIT run last year started it. Uh, in terms of teams that can make a run, I like Xavier. I think they got a nice draw against Toledo, and if Xavier treats it like they have uh, the past month, the way that this team's been motivated, I like Xavier to potentially get back to the guard. Uh, huge opportunity for Patrick Ewing and Georgetown. I think Georgetown's an NCAA tournament team next year. That can start against Harvard this week at McDonough. Uh, interesting matchup. You get Ewing versus Amaker. Kind of a fun flair to that game. Uh, Creighton's got Loyola Chicago. I don't know how much I like Creighton on this stage, but I, I do think for Providence, you know, in an NIT, you need the ultimate motivator. Providence has that. The Friars have Ed Cooley, and I'll never doubt Ed Cooley, but my, my fear with Providence is, John and Matt, is that offensively providence is flawed they can't they score just, john they, they can't, can't ring the, the bell it's terrible they can't score the ball yeah. so because that comes and goes at the level it does i don't know about providence yes. but i like xavier um i do like xavier i could see georgetown making a run as well and how about butler getting in that was a surprise to me the way they just floundered at the end of the season and then how they got uh really knocked around in the first round of the big east tournament yeah. good for them but uh that was that was surprising to me well, it's surprising because I thought that Butler, led by Kamar Baldwin, could make it back to the NCAAs, but they just didn't have enough scoring. Mm. I mean, for a lot of these teams, it's just a matter of, like, can you get to 70? Yeah. Um, and, and for Seton Hall, that's been a surprise. We all said at the start of the season, how are they going to get there? Like, how are they going to score the ball? Well, it's been a combination of two things. They've had a superstar develop. They've had an All-American-type player develop in Powell. And, they, and they've said to themselves, okay, when we can't get to 70, we're just going to force you uh, below that too, and we're going to do that with defense. So, uh, again, credit to Kevin Willard. Like, when you look at the rosters that are in the NIT, these five Big East teams, there's no question Seton Hall could be one of those five too. Mm. And, uh, and they're not. They're, instead, they're in the NCAA tournament. Um, so, you know, not to go off track, but it's, it's a reflection – on kind of where the league is at this year. All 10 teams are experienced in the postseason. DePaul's in the CBI. Uh, so, you know, for the league, I guess that, that, that's a good thing considering they were rebuilding this year. But now could you find a way to get two teams to Sweet 16, two of your four to the Sweet 16? That's got to be the goal for the Big East. And before we let you go, John, I, we could go through every team. I'm sure you'd enlighten us on Colgate and UCF <laughs> there's, there's no doubt your knowledge on the college basketball scene is unparalleled and we appreciate your time today but now we've talked about sleepers we've 
gone to John's Providence Friars and what they might do in the NIT. We've talked about the Big East teams. Let's go big picture here as we wrap things up. What are we looking at here? Is this Duke is the overall number one. That's not always uh, the best position to be in, but it's a, a nod to Shashevsky and his crew, and, and Zion Williamson is back. But can Gonzaga get to the promised land finally? Uh, is this a year that Mark Few can finally celebrate a championship? How do you see things playing out as this tournament starts tomorrow night? Mm, it's a it's a really good question. And I truthfully would have told you yesterday before the selection show that, yes, I, I think Gonzaga wins the national championship, but this all gets back to the draw. I don't think there's a one seed that has an easier draw than Virginia. Quickly, think about this. They'll win their first game. Then they play Ole Miss or Oklahoma. I think that's a dud of an 8-9 matchup. I don't think either one of those teams is all that special, and I think Virginia gets through either of those teams. Uh, I'm not convinced by Kansas State or Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin could lose to 12-seeded Oregon. Mm -hmm. So I like Virginia to advance past that game. And then I I don't really like the bottom bottom side of that South region. I mean, if it's Tennessee – certainly a tough matchup for Virginia, but I could see Villanova uh, knocking off Tennessee, and it could be Villanova-Virginia. Look, for Virginia, the opportunity's there to get to the Final Four. I like Virginia to get there. I think Duke gets there. I don't see how you could pick against them. I actually think that uh, we, we don't see Gonzaga get to the Final Four. I like three-seeded Texas Tech. I've liked them all year. I expect Texas Tech to get there. Uh, I think Chris Beard has done an absolutely brilliant job with the Red Raiders this season. And then I think we get a North Carolina-Kentucky Elite Eight game, uh, and I'll go with Carolina. So I do have three one seeds, but I just think that the ones are on a different level this year. Mm -hmm. Well, it'll be fun to see how everything unfolds, three ACC teams in the – in the in the final four according to uh, how you think how you see things playing out you know i think i think virginia my heart is with gonzaga only because they've been so good for so long but they just haven't been able to get there but virginia boy you sleep poorly on virginia if you if you disregard them because they should have been much better last year they should have gone much deeper they got that huge upset they were really damn good team uh and uh yeah i i think there there's enormous possibility there well, I, I think here's the thing with Virginia. They kind of remind me of Villanova in 2016 when Villanova went into the tournament. Everybody thought, oh, they could win the national title, but we don't trust them. They never, they never get it done in March. They never get it done in March. And, and you know what? They finally got it done. They got it done in March, and they put it all together. And I kind of think that Virginia has a chip on their shoulder because everyone's going to count them out. People are going to be looking to pick against them. I like the Cavaliers. I love what Tony Bennett's done there. And I think it's a nice redemption story that Virginia makes the Final Four. I think it happens. You know, and when you're playing them, it's going to be a rock fight because they're not going to let you score even 50 points a game. I mean, that. But they have to score. They do. They they have to find a way to score the ball consistently if they want to win six games in this tournament. Well, they need Kyle Guy to be the guy, and they can get some stuff from Hunter down low. But yeah, you're going to scoring against them is going to be the hardest thing. I mean, they will just siphon all of your offense off and make it hard on you that way. Mm. Absolutely. And I lastly, agree with you guys more. And and lastly, John, like the game, where's Waldo? Where's Fanta? Where are you starting? Where are you going? What's the next few weeks going to be like for you, travel wise? Yeah. So heading to Dayton on Tuesday. <laughs> Wait, it's Monday. So heading to Dayton tomorrow. You, you lose track of your days. Covering St. John's and Arizona State Wednesday, and then I will fly Thursday morning to Hartford 
Uh, with two Big East teams in Hartford, it made the most sense to cover that doubleheader. Marquette taking on Murray State uh, with the winner of that game facing either Florida State or Vermont. And then Villanova will square off with St. Mary's. The winner of that game gets either Purdue or Old Dominion. And uh, those second-round games will be on Saturday. So I'll be camped out in Hartford. I don't think that I'll be in Jacksonville. Maybe if everybody was gone, maybe I'd find my way down there for Seton Hall, Kentucky. But uh, for Seton Hall, if they advance out of the first weekend, that would be historic in many ways. Uh, You can bet your bottom dollar uh, I'd be in Kansas City. I think I would not be alone Mm -hmm. uh, when I say that. So, We'll see. Uh, best time of the year, guys. We'll see if the play of some of these teams translates into the NCAA tournament. There's there's that great divide of sometimes teams are out of gas, you know, but sometimes teams hit a completely different wave. So you, you don't know, and that's why it's the best form of reality TV. Well, let's see who will have that one shining moment. Uh, we'll, that'll be that's rolling right. around. All right, John. Right. Hey, great to be with you guys. No, thanks so very much. We took a little more time than we anticipated, but great information and have some fun and let's see where the Big East can take this uh, as March Madness is here. Happy Madness. And that'll wrap things up, John. Uh, we are all experts, at least we think we are, you more than me, certainly, but John's got it all down and uh, a lot of good information there. And let the uh, yeah let the madness begin. Let the madness begin. It should be fun. I mean, everybody, as you said, is an expert. You get your pencils out and your erasers, and uh, we all think we know who's going to do what. And uh, last but not least, don't listen to what Dickie V says because he doesn't usually pick them all that well. All right, fair enough. Uh, John Fanta, our guest this week, we do appreciate the time that he devoted to the show, and we look forward to following his reports and his exploits as he begins his coverage from a Big East perspective of the NCAA tournament. And that'll wrap things up on this week's podcast. For John McAlevey, I'm Matt Lachlan. Thanks so much for joining us. As we say, so long. 